Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Live by Live has all of your favorite music, and you can listen for free. Whether you hit play on one of our hundreds of curated music stations or create your own custom artist radio station, you'll find the music you love on Live by Live. Visit LiveXLive.com or search LiveXLive in the App Store or Google Play and listen for free now. I heard no so much that I've literally become immune to it, and I don't value other people's opinion on it. It's, I put the work in, I, I, as long as I'm self-aware, you know, once I make that computation of, okay, this is possible, here's the path to get there, here's how long it would take, activate. There's nothing anybody else can say around me to, to get me off that path. Former NFL receiver Andrew Hawkins defied the odds and made it to the NFL, but that's only the tip of the iceberg. Hawk is a rising star across all media landscapes, but you must hear how he got there. That story right now, I'm Steve Parker Jr. This is Parker on Tap. Hawk, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Excited to jump into the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you taking the time to, to, to do the podcast today. And, and we'll get into some of your background here in a bit, but Hawk, I wanna start right here. On December 14th, 2014, there was a specific moment that happened with you in the core of your NFL career. Now, you've mentioned before that this particular moment is the proudest moment of your NFL career. And it had nothing to do with the big play on the field, it had nothing to do with scoring a touchdown or winning a big game. It was something much bigger than that, with much more impact on culture and society. Can you explain to me what that meant to you then, what it means to you now, and also for, the, for everyone listening, um, talk to them about what this specific moment was. Yeah, so uh, yeah, de- de- December 14th, 2014. Did I get that date right? Is that what you That's said? right. That's right. 12-14. Yeah, so I wore, I wore a t-shirt um, in an NFL game that said justice for Tamir Rice and John Crawford III you know, who were two teenagers who were slain in um, Ohio by law enforcement, you know, who shouldn't have been, shouldn't have been killed. I mean, one was the kid, with the, Tamir, who was 12 at the time, was playing right. with a toy gun. Um, it was well, and, and John Crawford, he, he had a BB gun at Walmart he was looking to buy. He wasn't he was threatening anyone. Yeah. And was on the phone with his, um, his fiance or his, his girlfriend at the time and was literally just holding the gun that he got off the shelf and was walking around in Walmart just shopping. And without any questions in both scenarios, they were both kind of shot. They were both shot dead. And, and that's something that stuck with me hard when I seen those videos, because, I mean, there, there was so much conversation. I started to bubble up just in social justice at the time. This is off the backs of, um, you know, Mike Brown. Um, Trayvon Martin was a few years mm-hmm. earlier. Uh, but in those situations, there was no video. So seeing those videos to me, I don't know, it, it dropped my stomach and you know, this is something that, you know, I think it's coming from the black community. You've seen this so many times. And obviously now it's a hot button topic and everybody's kind of, you know, joining in or at least having these conversations. At the time, that wasn't the case. And for me, it was like, I could see this, right? I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a politician. 
I'm not a lawmaker, but I can see this and this is wrong. That could be me. That could be Parker. That could be anybody shopping at Walmart, right? Like that is, and I don't know, it just it just seemed terrible that nobody was talking about it. So I made the decision to wear a t-shirt in the game to draw awareness to it because I thought it was something that needed a light shined upon it, especially being in Ohio, being a person who played for the teams in both of these cities. This wasn't, you know, what I was synonymous with or regarded um, or, or had much affiliation to, to people who publicly knew because it just wasn't my public persona. I'm very much, I was keeping the main thing, the main thing, which was football. And that was incredibly, and is incredibly important to me. Um, and I struggle with like making that decision to do so. Cause I expected the worst. I am a worst case scenario. Well, and you, and you also, I mean, I mean, it wasn't as though, you know, you're stepping on the field. You're not, I mean, no offense, right? Like you're not Jerry Rice status, yeah. you know, you're, you're, you're not like Tom Brady status yeah. out on the field. You know, you're a guy that's a player that, you know, at risk was potentially, do you get kicked out of the league? Right. Cause, yeah. cause th this has obviously happened to some others, you know, there's been some issues like this and, you know, I mean, how was that moment for you to, to make that decision? I mean, I, I, I've read a little bit about it, but yeah, help illustrate tough, how you felt. It was tough for the reasons you said. Now, I've devoted my entire life and being to playing the National Football League since I was nine years old. It was what I wanted to do. And people my entire life have told me it wasn't for me. It wouldn't happen. And I, you know, went through hell and high water to make that happen. Like, you know, I've literally shifted everything that I was about to make that dream come true. And I did. And I was at the pinnacle at that time. It was my best season. I'd made the most money I'd ever made in a season that year. Um, and I knew I was putting all that in jeopardy. And it was scary as hell. You know, the people around me didn't really want me to do it. Not because they were, you know, hey, we don't we don't think this is a, it was more of like they were scared for me. They know how much I loved the game of football and how much I devoted and how much I went through to even get to that point. And we all kind of figured, you know, this could be the end. This could be you're going to get killed. It's going to it's going to get killed in the media. You're going to be, you know, people are going to be hot button topics on every show. And slowly but surely, you will likely fizzle out because who wants to deal with that distraction? And it was a very hard decision to make. So I cried about it the day before. Yeah. I was so nervous. I was scared. Like true, like true tears, right? Tears. Me and my yeah. mom. My yeah. mom was trying to tell me, hey, you know, this. There's other ways we can do this. We can, we can, we can draw awareness in other ways because it was a big deal. This had never been done before this way. Like she knew. You know, I mean, now it doesn't seem like a big deal. Just six, short, seven years, short years later, at the time, it was a huge deal. And she understood that. And she was just protecting me because she loved me so much. And I was like, yo, I, I have to do this. Like, it's if I would have if I wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have been able to live with myself because that's what I felt like I needed to do. I, I made that decision in my mind. No matter where you stand on the topic or issue, I made that decision for me. And I'm the kind of person I don't like to live with regrets. I don't like to say oh, I should have done this. That's not how I operate. And even if I would have gone on to a successful seven years in the NFL and, you know, eventually this conversation would have happened and I wouldn't have felt, I wouldn't have been able to live with myself. So now you would have I, regretted not being part of it when you could have been part of it. You could have made that yeah, choice. And you didn't. Yeah. You know, and again, I'm like, this is important. I need, I, I, if, if it, if I have consequences and someone else sees it and, and they take it a step further, it's worth it. And so I made the decision to do it and I did get backlash um, to my, to my pleasant surprise. There were a lot more people that supported me than I thought would. And that gave me comfort. You know, there were death threats. There were all kinds of things that you would imagine. Um, 
you know, which is scary stuff. But at the same time, and I think, you know, the support of people is what kind of helped me get through. And, and, you know, again, I felt great about it afterwards. I was, I was proud of myself and I don't, I'm not the kind of person to be proud of myself. It's yeah. not my, I'm always on to the next thing. It's it, and to this day, you know, of everything I accomplished, that's by far the, the, the most proud of myself I've ever been. Well, look, I'm, I'm personally, I'm proud of you. Like, because I, I like to see people stand up for what they believe in, no matter what that is. Right. And it's a, it's a healthy thing for the world to experience. It's a healthy thing for people that have been through really horrendous situations that, that are relatable to what we're talking about here have been through. And it's good for young kids to see that there's people that you can stand up and you can stand out in the world, have others feel heard, be seen, have a voice and make a difference, you know, and, and you did put a lot at risk. Um, you know, the NFL is obviously a tremendous organization. I mean, they've done so much good for so many things, but like any organization, they have flaws, right? And it's been tough for them to work through that, you know, over, over a number of years now, I think they're still working at it. Last night in the Super Bowl, we saw they're pledging 250 million towards supporting, you know, issues of this, of, of this type. So, um, hopefully it continues to move forward, but you've been a huge part of that. You, know, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, the, the risk and all, and you, you know, football was your life. I mean, you, you dedicated so much time to it. So I want to talk just a, a bit about your career path and I'm just going to run through some highlights. So it's a mouthful. Hold on tight. <laughs> um, you walked on at the university of Toledo, uh, right. And, and then you played wide receiver, defensive back, you returned kicks, you're this all around athlete. 2008 comes like any, anyone else who's really out there, you know, breaking themselves to be good at, at anything. You're hoping to get drafted. You go undrafted. You didn't play football all that year. Later, you were a contestant on Michael Irving's show, Fourth and Long. By the way, one of the biggest human beings I've ever met in person, My, Michael Irving. He's huge. You'd hate to be a defensive back hitting him. Um, <laughs> but you were runner-up on his show, eventually signed to play in the CFL in, 2000, in 2009, which you did for two years, and won a couple of Grey Cups, which was uh, probably amazing experiences. You get signed by the then St. Louis Rams and get waived almost immediately or shortly thereafter. Cincinnati picks you up immediately you get cut on the final day of cuts you get signed to the practice squad then due to an injury you make it back to the active roster where you remained for three years the browns pick you up in in, four, in 2014 you remained there for three seasons and then finally the patriots pick you up on may of 2017 and then you retire from the nfl a few months later that same summer that sounded about right that sounds about right That's all it. right <laughs> if you need me to introduce you at an event i got it down um <laughs> But it's a path, right? It's, it's a path. And we all have these paths in life. It's obviously a bumpy one, you know, but, but nobody that's trying to create something meaningful in life is going to have a smooth one. It's always bumpy. But how did you keep your mind straight with the ups and downs of that time period? Because it's got to be an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, no, I mean, it is, man. I, I, think, I think what I'm passionate about at this point in my life, because, you know, even, again, getting to Toledo and, and getting my scholarship there was such a process. And again, for a 17, you know, 18 year old that I took the brunt of that on my shoulders. And it sounds like, oh, you're just a freak. It wasn't that I did a lot, man. I was I was handwriting every college you could imagine. I was the one dubbing the tape, sending those out. I got emails to coaches that, you know, I eventually crossed paths with later that I'm writing literally two page telling them, like, hey, I'm telling you, I can make your team better. Just give me the opportunity. And you know, I'm, my, my dad is driving me across the country. I'm, I, I enrolled myself into prep school because I'm like, I just need another chance at it. And I, I was working to pay my own tuition to give myself another chance to earn a scholarship. So I think 
early on in my process, I, I just learned to put things on my own shoulders. And I enjoy the process of taking nothing to something and taking something from, um, you know, anonymity to ubiquity, right? Like there's nothing here on the surface. How can we make it everything? And so through those ups and downs, my mindset was just one day at a time, man. I mean, that, that's how you get there. Just small deposits. I am very much a worker. I'm patient in that way. I'm the kind of person that I'm like, if I put time to this and I'm consistent, I will get what I'm, I'm looking to get. And I don't care what it is, whether it's the NFL, whether it's a scholarship, whether it's, you know, an entertainment, media, you name it. I, I will figure out the process. I study. I read so much about what's going on. I want to know every element of everything. I, don't, I can't just be the talent. I got to understand what the producer's thinking. I got to understand what the light guys are thinking. I got to understand how you shoot this. I got to understand every element of things are going on because I think it helps me solve the riddle because there's always an equation to get to where you want to be. I'm, I'm a sole believer of that. So even again to the NFL, I went and interned as a scout with the Lions, partly because I'm like, eventually I want to work in the front office if football doesn't work out. But 70% of it was, I need to understand what they're thinking. I need to get behind the doors, understand how this system works, understand what they're working towards, understand what they're looking at. And that helped me figure out my track back to playing. So I was a scout in the NFL before I was a player. So, you know, I, the, the mindset is, again, it's just not, I don't, I don't take no's um, as Bible. You know, other people can't tell me what they think I'm capable of and me actually listen. And I think that comes from just me being a smaller player my whole life. I've heard no so much that I'm, I've literally become immune to it. And I don't value other people's opinion on me. It's, I put the work in, I, I, as long as I'm self-aware, you know, once I make that computation of, okay, this is possible. Here's the path to get there. Here's how long it would take. Activate. There's nothing anybody else can say around me to, to get me off that path. Yeah. And, you know, and, and along your path, it sounds like, I mean, you had to learn a lot, right. And, and maybe you had some good people around you that helped you too, or at least would believe in you to give you that chance. Like having your dad drive you across the country. I think, you know, me having a son, like if my son wanted me, to, I would do it, but he's got to be thinking, man, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah. You want to believe in him, but this is such a struggle. I mean, you know, during this process, especially when you're NFL, and, and I don't know what this answer is. I'm just randomly asking you, but um, like, when did you get married? And how much, and how much of, of this did your wife have to experience as well? Because yeah. when you're going through this stuff, it's not just one person doing it a lot of times. It's, it's multiple people. Yeah, so me, me and my wife started dating my third year in college. Mm. So we started dating my third year in college. Um, and, you know, so she was she was front row seats for a lot of this, man. I mean, it was, yeah. she was front row seats for me going to the gym every day. Again, not having uh, even a place to live, was living on a friend's couch and spending time between her apartment and, again, sleeping on their couch. And my closet was above their laundry. And, you know, I could sleep there as long as I paid the electric bill, which was like 130 bucks a month. Um, but, you know, when they would have girls come over or company, I'd have to go take a walk. Right. And I'd have to. Yeah figure out something to do. So she was front row seat for, for all of it. And I think just over time, the people around me have, have seen that personality because nobody's perfect just in, you know, like you said, your dad, he loves me to death. But until you show and prove what you got, then, you know, they, they, they probably seen it in me earlier than everyone else because they've known me my whole life. I, I've only known myself and come conscious of who I am later on. They've known me since a baby. So they, my mom and dad telling me, yo, you can do this. That, that's where I got it from. Like, yeah. I almost I didn't believe them at first, 
Um, and then as people, you know, your circle gets bigger. And my wife, she was, it was her car that I was driving to arena league tryouts in Michigan or, you know, breaking down when I'm trying to go interview for internships and getting in an accident because a four wheeler ran me off the road and I missed the interview and I didn't get the internship. And I'm, I'm distraught because I was late for this interview. That's something I couldn't control, but you don't realize overall, this is what needs to happen because if I go get that really great internship, who knows, maybe that's what I do for the next 10 years. Right. So yeah, I never know. Proceed for that. Well, yeah, I know. And I was going to ask that, like what gave you the drive? Was it something your DNA it was the way you grew up? Because I think any of us that go out into the world and are trying to create anything that has any substance just to us, it doesn't have to be to everyone else, but you're willing to say, put yourself out there, be judged, be critiqued. You know, you initially yeah. as an athlete and now as a business person, me initially as an entrepreneur, but it extends to everyone, teachers, artists, musicians, moms trying to raise their kids, you know, like it's a bumpy road. But did that drive, did it, did it come from your parents? Was it something natural in you? Like, like what was it? You know, I think it's, it's such a mix of things. That's a great question, man. So I have an older brother who was a football star. Right. Um, and I come from a football family. There's a lot of football players in my family, like 15 to 20 Division One football players, probably another seven played professionally. My cousin, Juroy, is the all-time leading receiver in Canadian Football League history. My older brother played eight years in the NFL. All four of my brothers went on scholarship to play football, different positions and, and heights and whatever. Like, this is a family business, and that helps. It's like... You know, if you're a family in real estate, if, you're the, if your dad is a real estate tycoon, you know, you're going to know a lot more about real estate than anybody else starting off. And then your son is going to know that. So my dad played football. So we all played football. And, you know, our cousins played football. And so we understand this process of football. And I think just some of that has helped in, you know, the things I've done off outside of the field because it's like, oh, okay, well, this is the next step. I have all that information earlier, which means I could take it further on the back end, but I think the drive comes from, I was always an afterthought. My brother was a freak athlete early on. I was always the short little brother. Nobody expected anything of me. And again, I became immune to people not believing in me. So I stopped, you know, it, it was a great process. Like, yeah, it sucks not to have people believe in you, but at the same time, to not have that dictate what you do and, and put limitations on your life, it's been everything for me. And it's a thing I still thrive on today. So I, I think it just comes from, again, just, having no choice that if I didn't, if, if, if I didn't believe in me, who the hell else would, you know? Well, it's, you know, it goes back like, what is it? Mike Tyson, I'll butcher it. But he said like, everyone gets punched in the mouth. It's just, are you going to get back up? You know? Yeah. And, and it yeah. is like that when someone doesn't believe in you. And we, I think a lot of us have always experienced that. You just, you right. take it in different doses and different times, depending on what you're trying to achieve. Well, let's jump ahead to like July 25th, 2017. It was a Tuesday. And, you know, you've worked so hard for something and then you abruptly end that part of your life. Right. Yeah. And it's just it's just a freaking insignificant Tuesday. you know. And it's funny because I looked that up before we spoke and it made me laugh because I always have used that example through work of, you know, you, you'll have these slap in the face moments when something just unsuspecting happens. And it's always this random Tuesday that mm -hmm. it happens on just completely insignificant. You know, what was that moment like when you decided, all right, I was going to retire and I know there was some positive feeling about it for where you were going, but, but what was it like to think through that? It was tough, man. It was tough. And, you know, I, again, I had the benefit of having a bunch of family members who have gone through this process. And I've seen, I've seen some of the, you know, the worst of that happens after, you know, you retire. So it was something I prepared for, right? Cause I'm a preparation guy. I, I wanted, again, 
as, as much as I can raise the floor of a situation, I'm going to. So that's why I went back and got my degree while I played. That's why I was doing internships in the off season and, you know, investing in myself post-retirement. Um, so even though I was ready for it, I felt like and I was prepared for it as best as I could be. It's tough. It was, I mean, football was the longest relationship I'd ever had. I've been playing football since I was seven. I don't, I don't remember like when I started loving football. That's how long football has been a part of my life. My son is the same way. He's had a football in his hands since he was born. He can't, rem he'll never be able to remember what drew him to football. It's always just been there. That was me, you know, before my wife, before my kids, before my best friends, like football was there. So no matter how prepared I was, it was tough to break away from that, you know, but playing the sport is a, is a marriage that is guaranteed to end in divorce. You know, so I was trying to prepare for it as best I could, but still mentally, this thing isn't there anymore. Like, it, I mean, I, I can't even overstate it, Parker. It's like it dictated my friends are all football players because that's who I'm around constantly. Like, we spend years and years together. My, You know, I, I, I met my wife at a college that I got there on because I went to go play football there. We didn't go on a honeymoon for our first three years of marriage because I couldn't afford to take my way away from training. It dictated who I hung up with, who I hung out with, who I played with, when people could contact me. Football was the thing that dictated everything in my life. So, so to remove that, it, even though I was prepared, it was it was a transition, man. It was a tough transition, and you know it still took some getting used to. And I think I'm even now, there are still things and elements that, you know, you're trying to get certain things back because it's normal to you that you don't know that you no longer have because football right. and that process is no longer there. Well, and you, look, I, I think you are probably one of the very best people at, at what you're doing today that, that, that exists right now. And we'll get to that. Um, but while you were playing in the NFL, you're also getting your master's degree at Columbia. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you, and then you, you know, you finally you retire and you go to work for Uninterrupted, right? Which is a business founded by LeBron James, Maverick Carter. Um, it's a business they call an empowerment platform. And you were pumped for this opportunity, right? Why, like, why did that matter to you as your next step? Because I read where you really had reached out to Maverick many times yeah. to, to get his attention. So why did that matter to you for that to be your next step? It was, it was a couple parts. Number one, I think Mav is just one of the, I think he's just brilliant, man. And, and, you know, having worked alongside him and for him over the last, what, three to four years has only cemented that. And I really didn't, I really didn't even scratch the surface with what I thought the guy was capable and um, how smart he is and how he looks at things. So there was that because he was just somebody I looked up to as well as LeBron and everything LeBron stood for. Like, I just thought it was so powerful how they, they took a situation and, and, you know, Hey, let's, let's make something more out of it and let's empower each other to, to be greater. And then the other part is, man, I mean, that transition I just told you about, you know why? I mean, the best case scenario for an athlete who views himself as a businessman and is also walking away from a locker room is to go to a place who is um, helping create an entire new industry that is centered on the perspective of the athlete. Right. So now it gives me the opportunity to have value here by way of my experience and also be able to, to bring value on the business side as well as hone skills. Right. And you know, again, Mav. And, and by the way, not purely about sports. I mean, this is bigger. No, it's, yeah, it's a much, it's much bigger platform. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we started off with just athletes, but it's everywhere. It's empowerment, right? It's it's to your earlier point about being seen, about being heard. Like, how can we provide that to as many people as possible? How can we make that the the status quo? And where we've been able to take it since my intern days, when I believe there was maybe eight or nine employees, and you know, three of us were sitting in a a, a five by you know, 
five room together to now over you know 120 30 40 employees there and you know they just raised an incredibly big round and and now I, we went from trying to strategize around to how to describe this to athletes who had never heard of it to now it's the opposite they come to us right and right. people come to us and we're you know they're making movies and document i mean it's just it's been a special thing to be a part of man and, and it, it's awesome to have been able to influence that and yeah i, I owe mav you know an infinite amount because of that experience well i think it'd be a unique thing for people to hear and understand like i mean and this isn't a long drawn out answer but you know, you, you didn't get paid. You were an intern, right? So here's this guy, he's coming out of the NFL. You had success in the NFL. <laughs> you know, you retire yeah. and now you're getting an internship. You know, it's, you know, you, people think of internships as like the 20 year old that's in college, you know, right. trying to get some experience to put on their resume, you know, but here you are, you're, you're much older than that. And, you know, you're, you're not getting paid and you're an intern. Yeah. yeah, no, and that's important to me. I mean, I, I am, my biggest fear is getting an opportunity that I'm not prepared for. Right. And, you know, and my goal with everything is to leave everything um, in a better place than when I became attached to it. I want people when they got done working with Andrew Hawkins to be like, damn, he over delivered. Over delivering is, is everything. And I thought, and you know, in the intern process now, everybody isn't as fortunate to me. Again, I was an NFL player. I didn't tell anybody when I was intern, I was an NFL player. If they knew they knew for, you know, people will tell you for months they had no idea that I was literally an active NFL player. That They just thought I was an intern and I was going to get coffee and I was adding help wherever I was. Hey, you need something to pick? I'll pick it up, you know? And, you know, they were shocked that, wait a minute, he plays in the NFL? And I'm very unassuming guy, but it was important to me because I want to show that I'm willing to work. I, I don't feel any kind of entitlement. And to be honest, entitlement is my pet peeve. You know, even yeah. with the people that I look to work with and be a part of it, I want hard workers. Um, that are willing to sacrifice. Now there's a, there's a limit to that. I'm not trying to, you know, like, again, I was in a position where I didn't need to take pay. I actually, for most people, I think interns should be paid because everybody comes from different um, socioeconomical backgrounds. And, you know, had I not played in the NFL, I wouldn't have had the ability to work for five months for somebody without being paid unless I would have sacrificed eating, you know, cause I don't come from that background. I don't come right. from money. And a lot of people in my situation are like that. So, but for me, I, I knew I didn't need it. And it was more important for me to show and prove the work, to show and prove the perspective, to show and prove that I could be a good soldier. I can, you know, I am, I am more about the work than I am about anything else. It's not about any money. It's not about what I can get out of it. I want to put as much into this um, as can be helpful. And I, and yeah, I, I think Mav and, and the people that I, I was able to work with appreciated that. Well, and you said, you said earlier um, that you're a preparation guy. And so I'm going to, I'm going to use a word. I'm going to, I'm going to drop a word for you and get your feedback. And look, I, I grew up when I was young, my dad was a, history teacher and a football coach. Right. So I, I don't remember not ever having a football in my hand either from the time right. I was, I was an infant. Um, but the word fundamentals, right. Cause I'm going to, anyone that's been in sport is going to know that word, right. <laughs> especially if you've been around coaches, like especially good coaches. But I, I think of the word as like this intentional commitment to consistently, consistently is so key doing these little things that build the foundation to give you great opportunity. Right. Yep. And so like even the ad agency that I founded level wing uses this as one of our core principles and everything we do, it's about doing the work, doing these basic, these little things really well that really aren't little, but they build this strong platform to let you go succeed. Yep. What does the term fundamentals mean to you, especially after you said you're a preparation guy? Yeah, it means everything, man. It's, it's, it's for me, it's, it's, it's automating, um, automating your skills. Right. And you talked about about, you know, 
facing adversity and how do you push through it's you know the fundamentals of who i am as a person and how i work like that's what you'll get no matter what the situation is whether you know i'm on the front page of people magazine or um, you know, I'm cutting, trying to get an internship somewhere. You're going to get the same level of work. You're going to get the same person every single time. And that's fundamental training. How can you turn the good qualities of, you know, the, what you put into a job or a business um, or as a worker or the effort? How do you automate that no matter what the circumstances are? Those are fundamental. So when I'm, and, you know, I would equate it in the sports, the things I work on, as fundamental at the beginning of the practice, when I'm dead tired, I do the same thing. I need my stance to be powered a certain way. I need to make sure I'm focused on the ball when I'm dead tired or when someone's trying to hit me or when the elements are all wacky and they're out of my control, am I still gonna be on that same level, right? Those are fundamentals and they go across sports to business in the same way. So when things happen, you can't control whether it's the market or you know whether it's you know something happens where people aren't buying your product or you know there's people elements that you can't control, are your fundamentals and core values going to be the same in the yeah. way that you work and the effort well, that you, you may you may know um, Coach Daryl Drake. He, he coached for uh, he's wide receivers coach for Pits, for the Pittsburgh Steelers for many years. Passed away about two years ago during training camp. And he I knew him like I met him in '91 when I was in college. You know, with football team and and um, and then we connected. You know, later on in life and 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 spent more time. And you know, he had said. When he and I would talk about fundamentals, of course, he would talk about all these things like how to watch and catch the ball, watch it come into your hands. But he would also talk about you need to have this really critical understanding of what gets you out of trouble. And those things get you out of trouble and they can be applied to anything in life. Right. Um, yesterday, I listened to some of your podcast, Needing Dough, which is part of Uninterrupted. Um, let me let me catch you off with it real quick. I got yeah, cool cut story. me off. Go ahead. So Coach Drake, me and Coach Drake connected the spring before he passed. Okay. Um, happenstance. So there's there was a kid that I was mentoring out of college. His name was Deontay Johnson. He's now played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm -hmm. um, he went to Toledo, mentored him since he was a freshman. Just you know, again, giving information back. The guy was a star, a rock star. He was so talented, and I'm like, hey, any way I can help you in this? Just how you approach things, think about things. I want to be that. So we kind of developed a relationship. Well, when he was coming to the draft, I was helping him with that process too and there were quite a few teams obviously that were interested in him and you know him going through the process and long story short someone that coach drake coach was a coach another team they ended up drafting deontay deontay johnson he calls him and says hey you know we got this player you know i i know he went to the same school as andrew hawkins i've always respected his game can you connect i wanted to mentor him and he was basically like yo you might not know this hawkins been mentoring him for four years um but yeah absolutely connected so me and coach drake connected and i'm not even kidding man the last three years it was probably the best conversation i had you know where it was supposed to be a five-minute conversation i think we talked for two and a half hours that's, that's the way he, that's that's the way he was like you know yeah. like the last I time think, i saw him i you know i flew to pittsburgh he and i filmed this little mini documentary on fundamentals actually and mm -hmm. and I, you know i thought we'd spend the time together i knew he's busy he was so busy in fact that day it was right before the nfl draft that year so I mean, your guy could have been there for all I know, because there were a lot of guys that were there that day that were doing their visits, you know, with the Steelers. Um, but we ended up spending like two and a half, three hours together, having lunch together, just talking. And that was just the kind of man he was. But it was also like, like, like take this all the way back to the very beginning of our conversation today. It was that authenticity and being yeah. available to people and having, you know, not being, you know, uh, like, you know, not being someone who's not willing to experience someone else, you know, in some yeah, way. Man. It was just such a, 
I, it's hard to describe the conversation, man. But I, I mean, I, I got off the phone and called my wife. I said, man, I just had the best conversation because he he was great at seeing people. He was great at hearing people. Oh yeah, so, yeah. Man, I'm, I'm proud of what you you've done. And he was telling, and we just, it was just a great conversation. And actually, um, helped develop a, a, a relationship with someone that's close to him as well. That he was empowering them, like, hey, you got to meet this person. She is a rock star. She wants to get involved in this stuff. You know, and because he was so incredibly authentic, even now, you know, it's it's made that connection after he we actually didn't connect till after he passed. Um, but everything he said about her was was spot on. And yeah. you know, um No, he was a listener. And he's and he he was, he was awesome. a listener. He saw people, he experienced them. It was it was funny because um a couple of years ago I was at the Super Bowl and I got to meet um Larry Fitzgerald. And it's mm -hmm. the only time I've ever met Larry. Our company's done work with him, but i I, I don't ever go to those shoots. And, you know, I, when I walked up to meet him, I had text. I was texting with, with Coach Drake just prior. I said, hey, I'm getting ready to go meet Larry. Anything I should say to him? And he texted me back. He said, tell him I love him. Mm. And then he texted me and said, also ask him how his golf game is, which, you know, everybody knows Larry can play golf, right, right, probably be right. on the tour. But, but I walked up and I said, um, I said, hey, Larry, I said, I just finished texting with Coach Drake. And you could see... I mean, Larry has a good smile, right? But you can just see it stretch out like across his whole face. And you could see how that, when Drake said, tell him I love him, which I told him, you knew that that was true. It wasn't just like, oh, hey, I love you. Like it was yeah, man. deep, it had deep meaning. So I'm glad, I, so I didn't know that about you. And I'm glad to know that we have this person in common because he is yeah. a life changer person. He really is. And I'm, again, I, I, we didn't have more than that conversation. We text after that um, mm -hmm. here and there. But I, I don't know. It's just it's very rare you meet someone um, that has that kind of I don't know. You feel it. You feel, you feel the, it. Yeah, you feel like it. My, I mean, you have I, to. I mean, I meet everybody. I meet you know, I work for Le, LeBron right. James. I work right. in Hollywood. I mean, I meet and talk to people literally all day, every day through like from every level you can imagine. And my wife was like, man, this guy must have been. I don't call her and say, yo, I just had the greatest conversation because I talk yeah. to people constantly. Yeah. And even she was like. I can only think of maybe twice you've ever done that in the 15 years yeah. that we've known each other, but he has that kind of presence and feel that you can just, there's very few people like that, man. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I, it's, un, and it's unfortunate he passed because he had such an impact on Pete. I mean, everyone he, he touched, he had impact on, I mean, you and I are having this conversation for the first time and both of us had that relationship with him, even though they were brief experiences, right? Yep. You know, look, like I was saying before, you know, I, I did listen to some of Needing Dough, which is the podcast that you do on Uninterrupted. And you've been busy with with them for a while and, and lots of other things, ESPN Sports Center on, Snap, on Snapchat. I mean, and, and lots of other initiatives. I mean, what are you doing today that you really love what you're doing? Um, I, I love the talent stuff. Um, I'm in the process of building um, my company that I've been doing on the side for probably, you know, five years now. Um that we have some really, really, really cool things going in the in the VR AR space that we'll make some announcements here soon. But um, yeah, we've been we've been head down on that. So that'll be probably the the big thing you'll hear about from me over the next, I'd say four to five months to a calendar year. Um, but then beyond that, the talent stuff, man, and, and my approach to the talent stuff is very much I want people to again see me, hear me, and say, oh that. I like him, you know, yeah. I want to hear from him. 
Yeah. Or hate me. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that too. I want you to have some emotion. My, my biggest thing is I don't want you just to be like, eh, I can take him or leave him. I got to continue to work <laughs> on the content today. I don't want to be so right. in the middle. I want you to hate me, think I'm annoying, think I'm corny, or love me, want to hear from me about topics and situations. I need to in- invoke some kind of reaction out of you. Um, and I try to keep it fun. Fun is like my thing when it comes to content and the things that I'm a, a part of. Fun, empowering is a big thing. Like you talked about needing dough. It's important for me to, you know, I want to, I want to help uh, other people learn about their finances and understand that, you know, you're not alone when you don't know these things. Like you don't know anything till you're taught or until you take the time to learn. And, you know, maybe a lot of times, you know, the problem is that people aren't communicating it the way that it can be easily digested. Right. So that's an important part than a fun aspect. Like I said, I, I probably didn't have as much fun as I should have in the NFL. If it was one regret that I could point to, it would be that, again, I'm not a regret person, but I do wish I enjoyed it a little bit more just because I was so serious. I took everything, like every practice was like a game to me, create a lot of anxiety. I wanted, I was a perfectionist and all of that. I wish I would have just kind of reveled in the moment a little bit more and just enjoyed it for what it was that I had reached the pinnacle of something that I never thought I could and no one else thought I could. And I, I, I wish I would have just enjoyed it more. So with the content and anything I do around sports now, as you notice, I try to keep it fun. I try to keep it joke uh you know playful and joking and you know just bring the fun side of sports out man because sports is supposed to be fun it's not supposed to be life or death yeah yeah no and, and i see that in you i mean i mean you know i've talked to you about that and, and we're talking about it here even i mean what's the what you know what do you enjoy about that digital aspect of content development and creation mm-hmm. is this the future of sports and the way that it's being delivered now at least for the foreseeable future and you, and you can talk yeah. about ar and vr if that's appropriate and what you're doing or or not if it's kind of you know if you're still in skunk works and behind the scenes yeah. but you know but particularly with digital content creation and the way it's being delivered today through a lot of different platforms other than just the traditional ones we've been exposed to for so many years like where do you see that going and and are we already you know are we in a place there that it's going to be like that for for a while yeah, I think I think this is the future. I, I've thought that for for years. It's kind of how I've approached my talent stuff. You know, I, I would actually pass on things that were on television to do things like SportsCenter on Snapchat for that same reason. Because I'm like, hey, SportsCenter on Snapchat reaches two million Gen Z kids from age 16 to 25 a day. There is more value in that than me being on NFL Live that might have a couple hundred thousand concurrent viewers and Again, I'm just athlete X that is a literally a, 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 a replaceable seat. You know, like I'd rather do things that are personality. I'd rather do things in a way that these kids consume content and that they're seeing everywhere else and that they touch and it feels close and it feels interactive and they feel like, yo, I can tweet Hawk and Hawk can tweet me back or I can comment on Hawk's post and Hawk will comment back or I might send Hawk a DM. Hawk might DM me a joke back. Hawk might make fun of me like he makes fun of himself. Like that isn't, I, I just think that as in a world of access, you have to continue to give people access and, 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 and have more one-to-one. It has to feel more catered to content. And so I think the digital space creates that. I think it's a way for creators and um, people and platforms to be able to touch their audience communicate with their audience, build community, build loyalty, because I would rather have 50,000 loyal followers and people who love my content than to just be in front of 6 million people who really don't give a damn whether I'm there or not. Like there's more value in that. I think as time goes on, 
everything is going to go digital. You're already well, and, you, and you know, and you're a great creator in that world too. And I've seen some of yeah. your posts, like where you're you're running the camera with your toes and it's on you. Like you've shared some of the like behind the scenes stuff, which is so fascinating to see. You know, and, and you and I, you know, look, we've we've engaged on Instagram a lot, and you always respond, like you know, or, or okay, maybe I'll give you a break. Maybe it's not always. I don't know for a fact. It seems like it is, but it's probably like eight out of ten times or nine yeah. out of ten times, right? I want to call out a few posts that you've made the last couple of weeks. Um, and, uh, you, you know, one of them is never entertain criticism from people who are unwilling to take risk. Mm -hmm. Another one is some people only love you as much as they can use you. Their loyalty ends where the benefits stop. Now, these are things that you you've yeah. seen. They, they mean something to you. They hit you in a certain way. You've shared them. Yep. But you're, you're my favorite as of late, which you typed and it came from you was I'm only impressed with things I can't do. But then I also believe I can do anything. It's a weird space. And I sent you a note and I was like, I feel that one. I totally understand because I'm not capable of a lot of things, but I feel like I can do them, right? I still yeah. feel like I can go run. A, you're faster than me, but I ran a four or five. I wasn't bad. Like, I feel like I can, but I know I can't. Right, you know? right. Um, but so I appreciate you how you bring your true self to all you do. And you talked earlier about it. It makes you more approachable. Um, and I think it, it's that authentic authenticity that, mm -hmm. that, that people feel from you. I mean, you, you talked a little bit about getting some grief or criticism that you get from others. I mean, how much do you get in the content you're creating and how do you use that? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you get grief. I mean, people, you know, tell you should be doing this, should be doing that. And I actually struggle with, you know, because I was on track to, again, work in the front office of an NFL team. Right. And that was like, you know, the business side of me, which is a big passion. I get it from my grandfather, but that was like, I wanted to be on the business side of sports and, and running a team would be the awesome, being able to pick the players, being able to, you know, try to put something together to win a championship was important to me. You know, so I go back and get my master's degree from Columbia. You don't expect the guy who went back and got his master's degree from Columbia to be dressing up in costumes and doing funny sketches for social media, right? So right. there was a little bit of a, 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 a tug of war going of like, you know, man, should I do this? Should I? And then ultimately, I mean, this is who you are. You can be smart. You could be silly. You could care about social justice. You could be athletic. You could be a great businessman all in one person. And I'm like, it was important to me to be like, yo, who don't don't let people put you in the box. You are who you are. Don't dim your light for other people to have a cohesive story. Right. If they can't understand it, that's their problem. That's what a visionary is. Yeah, you I love it. I love that. That other people don't see. You have to be comfortable with that. So once I started to think in that mindset, I kind of just let it let it go, man. And yet people, you know, say, hey, this content doesn't make sense. But overall, I'm like, well, let's find out in, in four to five years. Like I told you earlier in the conversation, once I've I've done the research, once I've you know computed it in my head, oh, this makes sense in this way. And I would rather do this. This is where things are going. I envision this. Let's see where it all nets out. Right. That's yeah. that's kind of how I, how I handle the, the criticism of, of, of what I'm building or you know, how I'm approaching anything. Yeah, it's awesome. Because I think, I mean, you know, no matter what you're building or creating, like you always have detractors and people that are going to comment, tell you wrong, or, or really are hateful in some cases, which I've, I've experienced probably in a much more limited fashion than you have. Because yeah. when you're an athlete, obviously everyone's an armchair quarterback, right? Yeah. Um, I want to talk just for a minute about, you know, leadership, because, you know, you, you have the ear of some of these larger names. You know, we talk about LeBron James and Maverick Carter and, and the company you're involved with with them, but you've also been around some really tremendous coaches that are leaders and, and, and even your own parents, it sounds like, and, and family members. Um, I've read a little bit about your thoughts on leadership, but where are you in your progress of leadership as a business person? Yeah, I mean, just... 
like football, man, you, you get better every day. I don't think there's any ever a time when you're like, man, I figured this out. Um, but the progress has been awesome. And just again, being able to, to, to see the things and be ex- exposed to um, the conversations, the deals, the business points on the Spring Hill side have been, I mean, that's, that's training you can't get anywhere. There's no school that can put you through that. Right. So I always say that, you know, Columbia was my master's degree and, you know, working with, with under Mav and that Spring Hill has been my PhD and it's given me that, that real life experience. And it's, it's taught me so much. And now I'm able to bring all these worlds together to try to figure out, okay, you know, here's how I use this. Here's, here's how I become the best businessman. Here's how I can deal with, here's how you deal with people. Here's how you, yeah. you know, get the most out of things here. Here's how you decide where to put your energy towards, um, you know, for efficiency sake and, and to really take something to the next step. So I think as a businessman, I, I, I feel really good about where I'm at. Um, I do. I'm going to continue to get better, obviously. Um, but again, in my, in my new venture with the, the VRAR company, I, I think I think we have a real opportunity to make some, some, some solid noise. And it's not something that's happened overnight, although it always seems like it's overnight. I mean, this is the uh, better part of uh, a decade trying to trying to put this together and making sure the elements are right and making sure the right people are involved and, you know, slowly understanding, okay, here's the lay of the land. Here's the landscape. Here's how you communicate it. Here's how you get this person. And then if you get this person, you can get this entity, you get that entity, you take it to the next step. Here's the product. How can we get the product? And just all those elements, man, I'm just really excited about it. And I think it's going to make a lot of waves. Yeah. Everyone, everyone always sees the overnight part, but they don't, they don't see the, um, all the work behind, you know, kind of behind the curtain. Absolutely. Um, you know, look, any of us that have, you know, found any level of success, you know, we have these moments, you know, which we could take back. I mean, you'd mentioned you wish you had more fun in the NFL, maybe or enjoyed it more, but, and maybe that's not it, but what's one of your moments where you wish you could have a take back or a do over, you know, just you, honestly, you screwed up, right? Like, yeah. like, what is that? And where, what did you learn from it? And by the way, this doesn't have to be sports, this doesn't have to be business, this could be yeah. with, with your kids. Cause I'm as a father, as a father too, like yeah. I screw up once a week at least. Right. And I'm yeah. like, oh, I could do this differently. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I can't speak to any specific moment. Um, but I'm like, Hey, this, this thing happened. Cause I'm with those, with those kind of decisions, I, I do a lot of thinking. I always pick the path that I'm going to regret least. Like I don't, my mom instilled that in me young. Like I don't get pressured into the deals I don't feel good about. Yeah, when somebody yeah. gives me an ultimatum on a deal, I automatically say no. Doesn't matter yeah. how how great it is. If they say, "Hey, we need to know this by this time," no matter if it's the smart thing to do, my philosophy is it's going to be a no. If you give me an ultimatum, it's a no. Save your time, effort, and energy because there's no longer a negotiation at that point. And what that does for me, I never regret that because that's one of my fundamental core values. Yeah. Um, but I will say the thing that I I, I need I'm continuing to get better at is juggling all these things that i'm doing um which will be a lot more streamlined um going going forward but it's having that mentality to show people how hard you work you know but you also have the family you know so like it's important to be spending time with your kids it's important to you know not miss any part of these years or birthdays or you know just every day and that's been the the awesome part of the quarantine the quarantine and pandemic has been terrible in a lot of ways the awesome part is I have not traveled in a calendar year, which has never happened in my life. And let alone the last three years prior to that. I mean, when I say I may be in New York twice a week, um, two different times, that is not an understatement. When I was in college, when I was in 
grad school, I was commuting from LA to New York in the same day. I flew to New York for class all day and then flew back to LA that night. Or, you know, in a month of February, typically, I mean, this whole week I'd be um, in the Super Bowl site. I'd come off the backs of that and then I'd, I'll go to All-Star and then I'd likely have three or four other events within there. So there's been a, my last month of February calendar, my wife saved it. Of the 28 days, I was on the road 22 days of it, you know? Yeah. That's tough. Right? And it's, it's brutal. I mean, I had, the, you know, and, and I would agree with you fully there because, you know, the, the year prior, well, in 2019, I looked back, I trove, I, I, I got on flights 72 times. Yeah. You no, know, and it's just, it, it, I didn't even think about it back then. It was just like, this is what I do. Yeah. This last year made me rethink how I go forward for sure because I've enjoyed not being gone so much and we still gotten lots done, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, Exactly. Well, hey, you know, Hawk, I ask you a couple more questions um, and then cut you loose, but I appreciate your time. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, your name's Andrew. Your mom calls you Andy. Yep. Um, so why Hawk, other than it just is really <laughs> badass to have a cool nickname? I think it's just, I think it's in the, in the sports world, people just call you by your last name, right? Like, well, you were calling me Parker early on, like yeah. immediately, immediately, which is, it's, it's funny because. Happened. In sport, no one ever called me my first name. It, you know, like in sports, no one ever does. But even my very best friends, none of them call me Steve. None of them. Exactly. You're not. And when Steve. I hear it, it's a little like, like what? Yeah, that's how. Yep. It's it, people. There's people who are close to me who don't even know my first name is Andrew. They like. Yeah. They mention Andrew. They don't think, oh, you're talking about Hawk, right? Now, in my mm-hmm. hometown, because again, I come from a family of Hawkinses who all are, you know, football players and. You know, the dad's known as Hawk. The brothers are known as Hawk. The cousins are known. Everybody's Hawk. <laughs> but now you got to call us by our first name, right? Okay. And, and yeah. Andy was my nickname back home. So even no matter where I'm at in the country, people, I would be at football games. And I would be like, you know, warming up against the Chargers in San Diego. And someone from the stands would yell, Andy. And I'll know that person is from my hometown of Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Because That's nobody great. else in the world yeah. calls me Andy. And if sure, sure enough, I look up, hey, I'm from such and such. And, you know, because... They put me in the paper as Andy Hawkins, but right, right. It's a that's just the, that's the at home nickname. Got it. Um, why'd you put five pound weights in your pants on pro day? <laughs> to to level the playing field, man. My thing is, <laughs> that, you know, I put clay on the bottom of my heels to measure taller. I put weights yeah. in my pocket to measure heavier because, you know, the NFL is very much like a like a roller coaster at Disneyland. You have to be a certain height or weight to ride this ride. And my thing was, I'm like, I know I could play with anybody. But the one thing that's going to keep me out of, you know, proving that is something I can't control. How can I how can I level the playing field there? How can I add an inch and a half to my height? How can I add 10 extra pounds to where you look at and say, oh, 5'8", 185, 184. That's, you know, we had guys that size and not, you know, 5'6", 170, right? Or 5'7", 170. That, that's not going to right, get it. Right, right. So, yeah, that's why I did it, man. Fair enough. Um, all right, listen, I, and you, I know you, you, some of your posts on Instagram, you know, around some of these photos I'm about to mention are kind of funny, but I see you posting all your fashion shots on Insta. And then, so, so where do you buy your clothes? That's a good question, man. I, don't, I actually haven't bought any clothes in the last calendar. Me either. I've given them all away. <laughs> yeah, man. It's like, what do you need clothes for now? No. But I don't know. It, it varies. A lot of it, I try to support like friends that have clothing lines and, yeah. you know, Try to try to double whammy and I'm like, oh, well, I'll show that I can do this, but also, you know, if somebody likes this, they'll go purchase one of my friends' clothing line and support the people around me or, you know, businesses that that need the support. So there's not yeah. really any brand I'm loyal to. Yeah, like, yeah. I only buy these, and I actually am very very cheap when it comes to clothes. 
There you go. Um, more importantly, so last question, where, where is, where is, I'm gonna call you Andy, where's Andy Hawkins in three years? You know, what are you striving towards right now? I mean, you obviously have this VR, yeah. VR, VR company coming online and we, it sounds like we can't get into that. Well, maybe we talk offline about that one, but yeah, yeah. Like, we where, where, where are you going? Tap back in on that. I, I'm, I'm hoping that that business is successful. Um, and hoping to be kind of, you know, running that alongside my co-founder and, and partner there. Um, I hope that's successful. I hope that, you know, even in that, I'm going to be able to hopefully empower people with opportunities and, you know, not just athletes, um, opportunities that, that wouldn't be there for people. I, I hope to do that. I hope to continue to use my platform to draw awareness to things that, you know, um, don't get the attention and amplify the voices that don't get the attention they need. My whole thing with what I'm doing now is I, I work hard so that I can help other people. I think I have the ability to do so. I think I've been blessed in that way. You know, so if I can go work for as much excess, excess as I possibly can and then take that excess and go change lives with it, that's the ultimate reason why I do it. And if that wasn't an option, I'd probably just go, you know, sit at home all day and play with my kids, to be honest. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, you know, Hawk, listen, man, I really appreciate the time. Thanks for the commitment. This was a lot of fun, this conversation. Um, you know, we'll have to, at some point, we'll have to connect and we can bring the wives and kids. That'd, that'd be fun. It'd, it'd go. be good to hang with you guys. That'd be awesome. Um, but listen, I, I truly, I appreciate everything that you do and I always feel it from you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I wanted to talk to you, you know, on this podcast. So thank you. Likewise. I appreciate you having me, man. This is awesome. Absolutely. I'm Steve Parker Jr. I want to thank you for listening to Parker on Tap. The fact that Andrew Hawkins, Hawk as he is called by most, played football professionally for eight years is such a small part of who he really is. It's actually just the tip of the spear for what he brings to the world. I hope you got a taste of Andy, as his mom calls him. He's real, he's raw, but he's also thoughtful and articulate about it. He's not going to hit you in the head to get a point across. He's going to finesse you. I absolutely love the fact that his proudest moment in the NFL was when he supported John Crawford III and Tamir Rice, and that he agonized and cried about doing it. It speaks to the heart of his being. I also loved when he stated, I'm a preparation guy. He's all about fundamentals. Shout out to Andy's mom and dad. They sound awesome. And since Hawk called me by my last name, as all locker rooms do, Parker out. Thanks so much for listening. Please share our Parker on Tap with others. Take a moment to rate us if you get a chance. And please take a visit to parkerontap.com. Hey, how'd it do, y'all? I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and Western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.